If you have your Bibles, we are continuing through Jeremiah 29. I just want to take a step back and remind you of what's going on. Uh, the children of Israel, uh, many of them have been taken captive. And this letter is sent by Jeremiah through um, two messengers. And they present this letter to the captives. And we've been looking at that uh, about how Jeremiah tells them it's going to be a long captivity to make, make your houses and, and get married and just get settled in, you know, because it's not going to be over quickly. And he even goes on and says it's going to be even worse for those who weren't taken into captivity. And last week we looked about that. And the week before that we looked um, about how we deal with difficulties and how we deal with difficult situations. And we looked there about how we're supposed to live faithfully in the difficulties. We have to be careful who we listen to in difficulties. We have to be careful what we tell in difficulties. But yet there in verse 11, uh, one of the most special verses uh, for those going through trials and tribulations, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we looked about how even in the midst of difficulties that God loves us and He's with us and He has a purpose and a plan. But tonight we change gears because this letter goes from an encouragement to the people to He specifically calls out by name the people who are trying to lead the nation of Israel astray. Now, if there's anyone in here that is non-confrontational, right, that doesn't like drama, this is not the section for you. Because Jeremiah just flat says, here's a letter, here's the people's names, and I want you to read it in front of everybody. And it's like, oh, I would love that task. Uh, and that's where we find ourselves tonight. And so I, I really want you to see this because God allows difficulties to come, but He still expects us to be faithful in the difficulties. We don't get to say, well, the situation's bad, so I'm going to, to live however I want. No, God holds us accountable in the good times and in the bad. The easy times and the hard. And so tonight I want to just take you through this and uh, just verse by verse as we try to finish this 29th chapter of Jeremiah. And so it starts in verse 21, and if you're taking notes tonight, uh, the Lord presents His evidence. The Lord presents His evidence. Starting in verse 21, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, 
having committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. I want you to notice a few really important things here. Jeremiah doesn't say, I feel this way. I think this. He makes one of the most bold statements you can make for an Old Testament prophet. He says, the Lord says. He is claiming not his authority, not his prophet authority. He is claiming the very authority of the Word of God. That's a serious thing. And as New Testament Christians, I believe that is the exact same thing when we say, the Bible says. The Bible says. It is speaking for God with that authority that God has. And so I want you to hear this tonight, that the Lord presents His evidence against people who claim to speak for God, but don't. You see, tonight I want you to know that one of the most serious things that you can ever do in transgressing God is to give Him credit for something that He never intended to take credit for. The Lord says, the Lord wants, the Lord this. You should be very careful using those words. As a pastor, I try to always, always say, the Bible says. That's why we go verse by verse by verse. Because... The Bible makes it abundantly clear that as a pastor, my authority stops one place, the Bible. Now, I might have an opinion on politics. I might have an opinion on a lot of things in this whole world. But I have to be very careful that when I share my opinion, that I don't share it in a way that says, this is exactly what God says too. Now, I want my opinion to line up with God and to be in agreement with God. But if the Bible doesn't speak to something, you and I should be very careful attributing what we believe to God. And so tonight, that's what we see here. And he says that I want you to tell them that these two individuals are going to be taken by the king and killed before your eyes. Now, I don't know if you think about this or not, but can you imagine listening to this letter being read? Right? God just gives you hope that there's going to be a long captivity, but God hasn't forgotten you, and it's not near as bad for you as it is for those people that are still in the, the, the land of Israel. And then all of a sudden, Jeremiah says, and don't miss this, but those people that are claiming to speak for God, they're getting ready to die, and they are going to die publicly. I'm, I'm not saying that would be a shocking moment, but I'm guessing there was probably some people going... Or maybe looking around, finding out where these guys are. Or, hey, aren't you his first cousin or his brother? Or... But it's the seriousness of when we speak for God, we have to speak for His Word. And it goes on and says, it's going to be so bad that people are going to use that as a curse on other people. What are some things that when, when, when someone says tragedy come to your mind? Specifics. Tragedies in American history, what would you say? 9-11. Pearl Harbor. Some others. Civil War. And so they're synonymous with death and destruction. And what God says 
through Jeremiah is, this is what people are going to reference. This is how bad it's going to be. How, how public it's going to be. And so tonight I really want you to hear that, that God has a purpose and a plan. He gives hope and grace in these verses before, but He also says the strictest judgment that will be given, the Bible says, for um, those who do what? Teach the Word of God. It says there will be double judgment or double blessings. And so as a pastor, every sermon I have to take into serious understanding and consideration that what I am saying to you, God is holding me accountable. And that when I speak, I better speak for Him. Not what I think, what I feel, what I want. And it goes on and it gets even more specific about what's going on. It says in verse 23, "...because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and have spoken lying words in My name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord." Now, there are two thoughts here in this verse. Some people feel that these religious leaders were actually going from house to house using their religious authority to say, you should sleep with me. I'm a man of God. I wouldn't lead you astray. Other people believe this is a reference to the fact that they had caused the nation of Israel to commit adultery against God by following after false idols. There is no right answer there. I think both of them apply. But he goes on and says, "...and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord." Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics of the trial that has dominated our country for the last few weeks. But in that case, both sides called what? Witnesses, right? And they gave testimony and they made statements. And, and one poor guy, his house was, was covered in pig blood and, and all kinds of stuff. But I want you to think about this. God is saying the witness against you is not another person. <laughs> it's not a religious leader. I am the one who is witnessing against you. I mean, that's a slam dunk case. That is saying a God who knows everything, who sees everything, who is all places, is standing there making this statement against them. And so tonight as a Christian, I want to challenge you to be careful what you believe, but to be careful what you tell people you believe and why. Be very careful when you give spiritual advice to people that you give them what the Bible says. Because if you give people advice from the Bible, it can always be backed up that this is what the Lord says. But when I give you advice based on my feelings or my emotions or what I think is best, friends, those have no weight. My opinion means nothing. And I hate to disappoint me, but neither does yours. God and God alone is the one who matters. And there's two words here, two, two verses I want to share from you from the Old Testament. In Proverbs 19, verse 5, the Bible says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 20 says, But the prophet 
who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall... What do you think the punishment for that is? Die. That is how serious God views those who speak for Him. And you say, well, Jake, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I have no position of teaching authority at all. If you have children, the Bible says that who is to train up a child? You are. You say, oh, well, Jake, I, my kids are raised. And so you got grandkids. You've got a neighbor kid that likes to come over and play in your yard during the summer. And as you talk to him about the things of God, you need to understand the seriousness when you claim to speak for God. I need to claim and understand the seriousness of when I speak for God. And I don't believe there's anything wrong with preaching topically. I've done that from time to time. I think it, it, it has a place, it has a purpose. But for most of the time, I believe the best way to preach is to start in a book and go all the way through. And the reason is, it is easy to stop where we started, or stop one week, and start right back up the next week. And about 18 weeks into it, when someone comes up to me and says, Jake, you picked that sermon just to upset me. You're absolutely right. 2,800 years ago, when Jeremiah or the scribes were writing this letter, it is exactly what I wanted. No. It's God's Word. And it's easier to handle that way because I can't just pick out a verse from Proverbs that I like and I just can't pick out a verse from 2 Kings that I like and I can't pick out a verse from Acts that I like and, and put it together to craft a sermon that makes what I want. And so tonight I want you to know that, that handling the Word of God is the most serious task that God gives His children. How you apply it to your life, how you apply it to your family's life. And what he says here is, these individuals were speaking for God, but yet God didn't tell them to speak. And I think we take this for granted sometimes. I believe that this book is the Word of God. I believe when it starts in Genesis 1 and finishes up in Revelation, it is all the Word of God. I do not believe there are any mistakes. I believe that when God talks about creation, it happened just the same way that He writes about it. When He talks about the flood, that's exactly what happened in the flood. When He talks about a fire coming down from heaven, I believe that's exactly what happened. And as a New Testament Christian, I have the complete picture. But if you are a child of Israel, a, child, a member of that, you don't have the complete New Testament. You don't have most of the Old Testament. And so you have to be reminded that in the Old Testament, God would lay a message on a prophet's heart and He would speak with the same authority that the Bible has today. And so it was a serious, significant thing. That's why different religions that alter the Bible or add books to their Bible... For instance, the Jehovah Witness and, and the Mormon faith. When you start to edit the Bible, you're in dangerous territory because what you have taken is the authority of God's Word and says, it's not enough. I know better. And friends, I don't know better. And you don't know better. 
This is the authority that we have. And so the Lord presents that evidence. In the King James Version, just that's the version I looked up. From what I can find, there are 183 verses about false prophets. 183. And so it's a significant thing. That's why I tell you every week, every Wednesday night, take notes. Go home. Study them. Read through them. We can disagree and still love each other. Like, for instance, there in verse 23, you can believe it was real adultery or you can believe it was spiritual adultery and we can still love Jesus together. We, we can still love Jesus together. But if I sit here and tell you, well, idolatry is not a sin, you and I probably can't agree. We're probably not going to be able to work together. And so in difficulties, know this. The Lord knows the evidence. And I think that is significant because that can be very negative. But it can also be very positive. How many times have you seen a criminal that is convicted, but yet years down the road, the evidence does what? Freeze them, right? They get some DNA evidence. They get some uh, kind of a new eyewitness. And that person is set free. So don't think that God being a witness is always negative. Because when you're in a situation where no one knows the truth and you feel like the whole world's against you, God knows. When you feel like everybody's abandoned you and everybody's betrayed you and, and that there's nothing you can do about it, remember that God has seen the evidence. And so and from a negative standpoint, as a Christian, I have to know that God knows everything. He knows everything about my heart, my life. If you don't even see it, God knows it. And so if you're saying, Jake, I've got everybody fooled tonight, you have everybody except for one. And that's the Lord. And tonight, if everyone thinks negatively about you in this world, there is still one who knows the truth. And so take that as a positive, but also as a warning. Thoughts. I was told this week that it takes 20 seconds for people to process and come up with a question. So I'm trying to wait 20 seconds. I didn't make it. I made it to 11. But absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the truth. That the, if you didn't know this or not, uh, the New Testament wasn't written in English originally, right? Uh, or the Old Testament. And so there are words and, and there's studies and a, and a concordance and a lexicon are so important because it'll show you what the original word was and how many times it's used and where it's used at. And you can reference it back and forth and you say, well, Jake, I don't have time to read my Bible that way. I'm telling you, you're not really reading it unless you're doing that. You see, you're missing the real vibrant um, meat of the word by not really digging in. Thank you for that, Dave. Yeah, and we have to use scripture to interpret scripture and to study the whole thing, right? So you'll find verses in the Old Testament where God sends the army in to kill a whole village. And then in another place, you'll read that God is for the sanctity of human life. And so how do you justify those two things? And so the death penalty is one, right? The Bible makes it abundantly clear that in certain cases, the death penalty is not only allowed, but it is encouraged. And you say, how could that possibly be the case? And the reason is, is because punishment deters some people from committing a crime. 
And so truly, that eventually saves more lives. And so you have to study all of the Scripture. And there are still questions in the Bible that I don't know the answer to, by the way. And if you sit here tonight and say, I know every answer to every question in the Bible, I would love for you to know this and hear this in love from me that you don't. All of us are going to get to heaven and the Lord's going to have to correct us too, by the way. None of us is right on all of it. And as I've heard John MacArthur say before, if I knew what I was believing that was wrong, I would change it. Um, but when I get to heaven, God's going to correct me. Not just for my life, but for the way that I have believed. And so what I pray is that when I get to heaven, and if the Lord was to ask me, which I don't believe He will, I can say, I believe this because the Bible says here. Or the Bible says here. I don't want to stand before God and Him say, Jake, why did you believe that? And I have to say, well, I just felt. Or I just thought. Or I just assumed. I don't want that. I want to be able to stand before God someday if I was asked and say, I believe this because your word says it. Other thoughts? I don't... Yeah, so I don't believe we'll be all-knowing like God, but I believe we'll, we'll understand better. And so, um, so I, think that, I think there will still be things that will have to be told just because I think you see that in some of the false uh, religions that they be, you become a little God, right? And so you have most of the power and most of the knowledge of God. And, and I just don't see that from the New Testament. Um, I don't exactly know how it's going to be, but um, so I think we won't know everything, but I think we'll understand it more, if that makes any sense. Well, I think there are attributes of God that we would like to have that we're never going to have. We're not going to ever be all-powerful, all-knowing, all places at all time. I, I think that God is still God in heaven. And so I think we have to be very careful to, to remember that balance. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the second thing I want to show you tonight from this text is not only does the Lord present His evidence, but the Lord sees the truth regardless of the situation. And so look here in verses 24 through 28. You shall also speak to Shemaiah the Neolamite, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, You have sent letters in your name, to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah the son of Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet. And you should put him in prison and in the stocks. Now, therefore... Why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathotho who makes himself a prophet to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon saying, This captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit. So this is a letter because what had happened is this individual, uh, Shemaiah, had thought it was a good idea that when they got into captivity, Jeremiah wasn't there. And so what he decides to do is, if Jeremiah is not here to tell me all these bad things, guess what we're going to do? We're going to send letters to every house, 
And we're going to tell them that the Lord really wants me to be in charge. He wants me to be the high priest. Don't, don't worry about Jeremiah. Uh, don't worry about uh, uh, Je- Jehoiada. Don't worry about them. What God really wants is for me to be high priest. And so, friends, we see this same warning in the New Testament where Paul talks about, uh, no offense, ladies, but uh, the females that go from home to home, stirring up division and trouble. It's the same mindset that where there's no authority, someone tries to fill that void. And it'd be the same thing as if I sent you a text message and said, uh, well, Gary, I, I really think you ought to believe me in, instead of Jeremy. right? Or I really think, Mark, you ought to believe me over Dave. And, 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 just, and start to build a coalition of people that would support my way of thinking, my authority. And what he says here is, that doesn't honor God. It doesn't honor God. And he says here, literally, that the letter not only said that they should support him, it literally says, why is Jeremiah not in captivity? And he is saying these false statements. So he says, support me, but he also starts to attack Jeremiah and his message. Jeremiah has told you we're going to be here a long time. Jeremiah told you that we're going to have to build houses and dwell here and plant gardens. And he's saying, that's just not true. He says, Jeremiah is lying to you. Jeremiah is not telling you the truth. You need to listen and follow me. And so, friends, that doesn't change. If you've ever worked with the public, we can all do it. All of us want people to agree with us. No one wakes up in the morning and thinks, no normal person... I wonder how many people I can make hate me today. Most people don't wake up and think, well, I hope today I can tear our church apart. Or I can tear our marriage apart. Or I can ruin our family. That's not how it goes. And so I want to give you two verses tonight, or two texts. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's not only the responsibility of the one who is saying that that's guilty, but it's also the ones that are listening who are guilty. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have what? Itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And so I am responsible for what I tell you, but you are also responsible for what you believe. Because if I put what I want to hear in front of what God wants for me, it's my fault. Now, I have ate two pieces of dessert today. The ladies can testify of that. But something happened after I had my two pieces of dessert to see which one was better so I could refer it to you. Okay, that's why I did it. I wanted you to know they get out this bowl of something. And what's it called? It's just the icing glaze. And they begin to pour it over every single one of them desserts. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have been cheated. I have been robbed. I ate dessert without the best part. And so, since I didn't have to start over, because I have been robbed. That's how I felt. And that's exactly what I told myself I was going to do. I haven't, thank you by the way. But, that, but I might, I'm not, we're not through tonight yet. But that's a funny example of how we do it. Well, you know what? I've 
I've always thought bad of Brad. And so, so Gary told me something about Brad, so that's exactly what I believe about him. I don't, by the way. See, no, no. But that's how our mind starts to work. That's what I felt, and that's what you confirmed, and so that's what I believe. And that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to have discernment. God wants us to understand that we all have feelings and emotions and thoughts. And if we're not careful, it's like a snowball going down a hill. Starts out real little, doesn't it? And the, and the more snow that it picks up, it gets bigger and it starts going faster. And so he not only says here that those who are speaking are guilty, but us who are listening are at fault. Listen to what it says in Acts 13, verses 8 through 12. But Elmias, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proud counsel away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you, son of the devil, you, enemy of all righteousness, will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I said that for two reasons. Because we see someone who's trying to resist the work of God. But two, do you know what they were astonished by? They weren't astonished by the fact that this person was made blind. doesn't say that, does it? Being astonished at the what? Teaching of the Lord. Friends, I know sometimes it feels like when people are against you that you're being nibbled to death by minnows. Right? As Dr. Criswell always said, I'd much rather to fight off being swallowed by a whale than being nibbled to death by minnows. But what he says here is, just keep teaching. Keep preaching. Keep declaring the truth. Don't worry that God hasn't done the miracle, that God hasn't struck your enemies blind, or God hasn't um, smited them. You just keep doing what God's called you to do. You just keep being faithful. Just keep teaching the Word. Keep living with integrity. Keep doing what God wants you to do and trust that God will produce the results. You see, in this situation, we see what was causing this individual to do this. It was pride. This individual wanted to be in charge. He wanted to be the one that led worship. And that's how all of us are, right? If you have an argument with your spouse, it comes down to pride. I want to be right. You can be right or you can be what? Happy. You can't be both usually in marriage. And so, but usually how many times have you went to bed continuing to fight because you just want to, didn't want to admit that you were wrong? How many times at work have you not spoke to someone because there was a disagreement and you didn't want them to think that they were right? You see, sometimes it's pride that keeps us wanting to be in charge. Sometimes it's vindication. But you remember 
tonight that regardless of what people say about you, regardless of what people think about you, God knows the truth. And eventually, the truth comes out. Now, it usually does not come out as fast as we want it to. Facebook's not the place. And I know that makes some of you mad, and I really don't care. (laughs) You know, Facebook is never the place to deal with hurt and drama and disagreement. You say, Jake, but it was in the comment section. I don't care. I am telling you, it is not the place. Matthew 18, what does it say? If your brother sins against you, you are to what? Go to them in private. If he will not listen. So if Gary and I have a disagreement, Gary comes to me and says, Jake, I wasn't very happy with that. I didn't think that was right. And I say, well, I don't care what you think, Gary. You're older and senile, right? (laughs) I love him in Jesus, so I'm going to say that. And then he says, okay, well, I'm going to take three other people and we're going to talk to Jake about it again. And then we talk about it and I'm like, well, all three of don't know what you're talking about. That's what the Bible teaches. And then there's a third step to that. And that's what God honors. You cannot control what people say about you. You cannot control what people think about you. All you can do is be faithful. Be faithful in every situation and do what is right. Because... This individual thought, Jeremiah don't know. God doesn't know. We're in captivity. We're going to get away with it. And what God says is, I see what you're doing. And there's consequences. Thoughts? Yes, the third step is you bring him before the whole church and let the church decide. And what is the goal of that process? Is it to excommunicate people? Reconciliation. Restoration. The fact that you and I, that Gary and I could stand before a church and say, hey, we had a disagreement, but we love each other in Jesus enough that we've made it right and we can serve God together. Other thoughts? All right, I'm just going to continue right on through it. You say, Jake, I don't like it. I didn't write it. So, uh, 29 through 32. Now Zephaniah the priest read the letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Send to all those in captivity, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nelamite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you. And I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehlamite and his family, and he shall not have anyone to dwell among his people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord." The third thing that I want you to write down tonight is this. The Lord will not allow His people to be harmed without consequences. The Lord will not allow His people to be harmed without consequences. He tells them that the punishment that is coming to this individual is because he has done what? It's the very last sentence there. 
taught rebellion against the Lord. You see, he is being accused of leading the people astray. It would be like if you tried to lead my wife astray. I would be upset. I'm her husband. Two become one. I'm supposed to be her provider, her protector. And so if you start messing with my bride, we're going to have problems. And the people of God, especially we see it in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, that the church is the what of Christ? The bride, right? And we read in the book of Revelations how one day we're going to be spotless and, and all of these wonderful things. But today I want you to know that God will fight for His church. He will fight for His people. He fought for the nation of Israel. And I want to show you this tonight because it's a warning to me as the pastor. It's a warning to you as Sunday school teachers. It's a warning to you as parents. But look what it says there in verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish this individual and what? And his family. Now, we know what the punishment is. He's not going to get to see the good. And his family's not going to get to see the good that God does when He restores the nation. It goes on and says, He shall not have anyone to dwell among His people. That's what he's saying is your offspring are not going to be able to see the blessings that I'm going to do. It's one of those times in scriptures where we see that generational sin has consequences. Now, not every sin that you do will cause your children to be destroyed. Okay, let's be clear there. But how many times do we see our children imitate who? Us. If I teach my children to love the church, to love Jesus, to be faithful... Is there a day why they, when they might not be? Absolutely. But I've done all that I can what? Do. If I forgive people and teach my children that we love our enemies, we pray for them, I have shown them what to do. Now, might they be the most vindictive people on the planet? Possibly. But yet in this instance, for whatever the reason, God says this judgment is not just going to affect you it's going to affect your whole family. And my statement to you tonight is the same one that I have been praying for me is, I don't know which sin that's going to be. I don't know which sin that I'm going to bring into my life and my family that's going to do the damage. And so as a believer, as a parent, as a pastor, I have to do everything I can to be godly, to lead the church according to the Scripture. Because why? Sin affecting me is one thing. But I definitely don't want my sin destroying my children. Today I uh, received a thing about a recent book that has come out and, and the young lady was on Dr. Phil and it, was, it involved grooming a child and, and topics, which I don't believe there's any children in here tonight, and uh, child abuse and it was just... It was sickening and it was heartbreaking and, and this young lady is now in her 30s and the damage that it has done. And it's a reminder that my sin doesn't just affect me and my kids, but it can affect other families, other children. 
And so as a pastor, I have to remember that and to be reminded on a regular basis that my life is not just mine. It affects many people. Um, <laughs> I know we've got lots of teachers in here, but I'll pick on Dave because you know, he's sitting right here. Dave and I spend a lot of time together. Seems like it's always difficult meetings, but I appreciate that from him. Um, but he always tells kids stories. Or when we go out to eat on Fridays, there's always someone that had him in class. And you know what they always say? Mr. Crane, do you remember when? And it's usually good. You know, it's always good, I guess. But it's made a difference in their life. Now, I grew up in school. I remember the easy teachers and the hard teachers. I remember the nice teachers and the not nice teachers. One of my favorite stories in the whole world is, is uh, which I was in, I think it was, I can't remember which social studies class it was, and we were talking about reading, and Mr. Johnson said, you know, my wife loves to read these books, make 800-page long books, but I always said if it's a good enough book, they'll make it into a movie and I'll watch it. And so I have applied that to my life. If the book is good enough, they'll make a movie of it. And so, and uh, they've tried to make a movie of this. It's not went really well, but... Uh, but those are just things that stick with you. I can remember growing up as a kid, going to my grandparents, and the big treat was riding to Dale to get a Mountain Dew and a Butterfinger at Hunt's. And if we were really special, we got to go to Galatia. I mean, that was the big treat, going with Grandpa to Galatia. Now, those aren't spiritual things, right? Those are just things that happened in life, but the impact they made and so, friends, if those things make a spiritual impact on a child, how much more serious do you think it is for the faith? Baby Christians, I say this every time we baptize someone, when I pray, I pray that our church would love them and love each other in a way that when they're older, they can say that it has been good to be a part of this church. Because I don't know if you know this or not, most of us have bad church story experiences. Many kids today won't come because of those stories. Now, I think that's a not a good excuse, and there's never a good excuse not to come. But I think we have to honor that simple truth that it can have consequences. And so everything we say, everything we do, everything that we try to do should be in a way that we can always point back to this is what the Lord says. And if the Bible doesn't speak specifically to it, we ought to be willing to extend grace and mercy in those situations.